Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton here with you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Welcome to today's edition of This Week in Business History for January 18th, 2022. Hope this finds you well and that you've enjoyed a successful start to the year. You know, Billy Joel once sang, only the good die young. When it comes to the business world, we certainly have lost some of our most brilliant leaders, entrepreneurs, and innovators far too young. Mr. Reginald F. Lewis is certainly one of those. Forbes once named Lewis the Jackie Robinson of Wall Street. After building a hugely successful business career, including creating the first black-owned billion-dollar company, Lewis succumbed to brain cancer on January 19, 1993, at the age of 50. His story is one that more folks should be familiar with and inspired by. Today, I'm going to be offering up five things you didn't know about Reginald F. Lewis. So stay tuned for intriguing aspects from quite a life lived. And hey, before we move forward, be sure to take a moment to offer up a review of our podcast and subscribe so you don't miss stories much like this one here today. Thanks for your support and let's dive right in. Up first on our list of five things you didn't know about Reginald F. Lewis, let's talk about his early years and one big goal he envisioned as a young student. Reginald F. Lewis was born on December 7, 1942 in Baltimore, Maryland. In particular, Lewis grew up in East Baltimore in a neighborhood that he once called semi-tough. He had a very supportive family that encouraged young Reginald to work hard and strive for more in life. Be the best you can be was a regular phrase used in the Lewis household. He was 10 years old when Reginald got his first job. It was a paper route selling the local black newspaper, the Baltimore Afro-American. In two years time, Lewis would grow the route from 10 customers to more than 100 and would sell the route at a profit at the age of 12. Lewis was a good student and an excellent athlete. And when not studying or playing sports, Lewis would be found working afternoons, nights, weekends, you name it. In high school, he'd work at a local country club, saving enough money to buy his own car. In fact, Lewis would be one of only a handful of students at his high school with a car. When he moved on to Virginia State University, which is the country's oldest publicly funded black university, Lewis would take a variety of jobs to earn money. Drugstore cashier, country club waiter, even working as a night manager of a bowling alley. 
Reginald Lewis's strong and disciplined work ethic and drive was something many took notice of. In fact, in one job that he had as a photographer's sales assistant, Lewis was so successful that his manager offered him a partnership stake in the business. Lewis would decline because he had some other big dreams. One friend recalls Lewis once stating a big, bold, and ambitious goal. Lewis would say, quote, I know that what I'd like to be is the richest black man in America, end quote. Number two on our list, just how did Lewis get into Harvard? Well, the year was 1965. Reginald F. Lewis was set to graduate from Virginia State University. Football was already in his rearview mirror after he had experienced a ton of injuries. So Lewis was focused on his ambitious professional career. He learned of a program that the Rockefeller Foundation had introduced, which focused on a summer program for young undergraduates from HBCUs. It offered these students entry into a special program at Harvard to learn more about the field of law. Lewis was enthralled with the opportunity, but his eligibility was in question since he was almost already graduated. But he wasn't gonna let that trivial technicality interfere with his path forward. So Lewis would go to work lobbying the school administrators at Virginia State to let him in. Include me on the list, he would say, and he was relentless. And eventually, his efforts paid off, as Reginald Lewis's name would be added to the list of those going to Harvard that summer in 1965. He basically willed his way into school. Lewis impressed so many and excelled so much so during the summer program at Harvard that he was invited to attend Harvard Law School, even though he had never applied. According to ReginaldFLewis.com, this was the first time in Harvard's 148-year history at the time that a student would be admitted without formally applying. Lewis's longtime childhood friend, Lynn Hart, shared this memory from those years, saying, quote, Once he got into Harvard, I was one of the very few people that stayed close to him. When he did come back to Baltimore once for Christmas recess, he called me up and said, I'll be in town. I want to see you and Francis, my wife. When he met us, I said to my wife, Francis, get the camera. I want you to take a picture of Reg and me because I told him, Reginald, I know you're going to be successful and I think you're going to be somebody. This was in 1966, end quote. That picture that Lynn Hart took with his dear friend, Reginald Lewis, now appears on the cover of the book that Hart authored, entitled Reginald F. Lewis Before TLC Beatrice, The Young Man Before the Billion Dollar Empire. Lewis would graduate from Harvard Law School in 1968 and continue to build a list of firsts. Number three on our list of five things you didn't know about Reginald F. Lewis, Wall Street enters the picture. After graduating from Harvard in the late 60s, Lewis began to work at a prestigious law firm in New York City called Paul Weiss. The firm had established its headquarters in New York way back in 1875. It was one heck of a gig for a new law school graduate. Beyond the opportunity to gain experience and fine tune his legal knowledge, it also allowed Lewis to expand his professional network, which would be critical in the decades to come. But Reginald F. Lewis grew 
and intense desire to call his own shots and make his own deals. So just two years after joining Paul Weiss, Lewis would join forces with several black attorneys that also had graduated from Harvard. They would establish one of the first all-black law firms and the first African-American law firm on Wall Street. It would be called Wallace, Murphy, Thorpe, and Lewis. Number four on our list, it's all about the art of the deal. By the 1970s, Reginald F. Lewis had accomplished more than most. Between his trailblazing, pioneering victories and his growing reputation as an astute attorney, Lewis was becoming more and more well-known, but he still wanted more. In particular, Lewis wanted to be able to call something his own. He wanted to own his own business. Lewis went about to do just that in the mid-1970s. At the time, it was a hot market in the U.S. for mergers and acquisitions. Lewis found some targets, had some conversations, made progress with some negotiations, but deal after deal fell through. Many of his friends and family members would say that a lot of those failures over the course of about nine years of trying to own his own business, well, it had more to do with Lewis's race. But in 1984, Reginald F. Lewis would have a breakthrough moment. He would successfully acquire his first company, the McCall Pattern Company, for $22.5 million. Better yet, Lewis would turn around and sell the company in 1987, just three years later, for $65 million. No small feat. But as was the case throughout Lewis's career, while finalizing one victory, he was already working on the next one. About two weeks before his deal closed on the McCall Pattern Company, Lewis got a call from a friend with a tip. Hey Reg, he might have said, I know you're looking to make a big move. There's this company called Beatrice International, they do about $2.5 billion a year in sales, and they're on the market to be acquired. So in November 1987, an army of lawyers, CPAs, corporate advisors, you name it, took over about six floors of a New York office building to work fast and furiously to close a $985 million leveraged buyout of Beatrice International, a global food conglomerate. Quick side note for any of you listeners that may be like me and not a high finance pro, a leveraged buyout is essentially the process of acquiring a company with a significant amount of borrowed money to pay for it. So now back to our story and the target in this massive deal. In 1987, Beatrice International had 64 operations in some 31 countries, and they all had to meet strict financing conditions prior to a December 1st deadline in order for the deal to close. So those six floors of professional talent were working overtime to make sure that that happened. And one tenacious quarterback was leading that team of about 200 pros. That would be Reginald F. Lewis. And while various parties threatened to walk away from the deal right there at the deadline, including Lewis himself, when a $7.6 million transaction fee that he was owed was threatened, but nevertheless, the deal persevered and would be completed. And on December 1st, the company officially became TLC Beatrice International Holdings. Do you know what the TLC stood for? Well, that would be the Lewis Company. 
The deal would make Reginald F. Lewis the first black man to own and run a billion-dollar corporation. The deal would also put Lewis on the Forbes 400 list of the wealthiest people in the world. The deal closed at $985 million, making it the largest leveraged buyout of overseas assets by an American company on record at that time. Reginald Lewis just added a lot more firsts to his list. Number five on our list of five things you didn't know about Reginald F. Lewis, his legacy. In the aftermath of the deal of a lifetime, life, well, it got real good for the Lewis family. Lewis's widow, Loida, said, quote, we were living the lifestyle of the rich and famous, end quote. Fine champagne, Cuban cigars, private jets, exclusive properties, world-class art, you name it. While Reginald Lewis enjoyed the fruits of his labors, getting work on his legacy was paramount to him. One part of that legacy would be donating $3 million to Harvard in 1992, which at that time was the largest gift ever made by an individual donor. In turn, Harvard Law School would name its International Law Building after Lewis, which was the first building on the Harvard campus named after a black person. But by Thanksgiving 1992, the Lewis family would receive tragic news. Reginald Lewis was having vision problems with his left eye. Upon a medical, physical, and close examination, doctors determined that he had an inoperable brain tumor. The 50-year-old business titan was given mere months to live. Less than two months later, Lewis communicated to his shareholders that he was resigning from the day-to-day operations of the international business, but he planned to stay active with the company. Just six days later, on January 19, 1993, Reginald F. Lewis would pass away. His legacy does live on in a variety of forms, though, these days, almost 30 years later. His daughter, Christina S. N. Lewis Halpern, a former journalist for the Wall Street Journal, well, she launched All-Star Code in 2013 in honor of her father's legacy. It is the first nonprofit that focuses on helping young men of color navigate the tech industry. The Reginald F. Lewis Foundation is also part of that tremendous legacy, as it's one of the largest African-American private foundations in the world and has given away some $30 million in grants since its founding. And the Reginald F. Lewis Museum of Maryland African-American History and Culture opened in 2005, and it has over 82,000 square feet and 10,000 objects in its collection. So all told, what can we learn from this human dynamo who tackled the world on his own terms? For one, the value of relationships. Says Joanne Price, co-founder of Fairview Capital Partners, quote, Reggie never passed up an opportunity to build and develop relationships. He was constantly in the mix with his ear to the ground, end quote. His longtime friend from East Baltimore, Lynn Hart, would probably tout Reginald's immense belief in himself. Hart once said, quote, Reginald had a unique ability and sustainable belief in the eventuality of his success. Reginald never doubted for a minute his success. End quote. I would add that beyond the huge importance of investing in yourself and preparing for your journey, which Reginald Lewis certainly did, I am invigorated with the 
no limits approach to life and business that Lewis lived by. He dreamed big and he made it happen regardless of the obstacles. In fact, as we close here today, let's close with a mantra that Reginald F. Lewis was known for around the globe. Quote, keep going no matter what. Well, that just about does it for this week's special episode of This Week in Business History. I hope you've enjoyed today's show that focused on one of business history's most accomplished, driven, successful, and pioneering figures. Hey, let us know what you think. We'd love to earn your review wherever you listen to this podcast. Of course, my co-host Kelly Barner and I hope that you'll subscribe to the show so you don't miss a single episode. We publish a new one every Tuesday. With all that said, we wish you a wonderful week ahead. Hey, this is Scott Luton urging you to do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here on This Week in Business History. Thanks, everybody.